I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. How we doing? It's episode 5 of the La Fontaine's podcast. Coming to you as ever with nothing but the best of intentions. I'm Kerr, joined this week by a couple of very good pals of mine, who also happen to be uh, my bandmates, Darren and Jamie. And as ever, we'd like to try and steal an hour of your free time. Perhaps we've caught you on your morning run. Maybe you're settling in at home to a cook stew or a vegan roll. Or maybe this is now how you get through your your morning commute. Although in these times, we can only hope that is for essential key work only. It's week five. The tone has now been set. People have become familiar with what goes on over here. And, and if you're not, please feel free to take your wee arse back to episode one, where all shall be explained. For our avid listeners, now reaching a high tens on some occasion, Today's story is about a man you might be very familiar with without actually even knowing it. If you're a fan of our band, you've no doubt listened to our first album, Class, a critically acclaimed masterpiece, we think. The person on the front cover of that album is a man named Brian Yardley. We chose for Brian to be the face of our debut album for a number of reasons. Brian ticked all the boxes. He had the look, he had the backstory, but most of all, he had our Jamie's admiration. This story is about the events that occurred at Brian Yardley's funeral. He was a dear pal of Jamie's. Brian is a man who lived a thousand lives, and although my tone here doesn't suggest it, the story that follows is actually pretty funny. I imagine Brian would approve. We hope it puts a wee smile on your face as well. And before I let Jamie jump in with the tale, I'd like to mention to all the people messaging 
asking where they can buy the books. We now have them back in stock, so feel free to purchase one for your lockdown essential reading. Books called The La Fontaine solved 12 of life's most common problems, and you can buy it on their website. So please, uh, please do so, because that would be that would be super sound, and it's um, it's a good wee book, man. Anyway, as always, we hope you enjoy the story. Thank you if you've been listening from week one. That's it's absolutely class. And thank you for the people who've been sharing the podcast and, and telling their pals about it, uh, reviewing it on Apple and <clears throat> Spotify and Acast. And uh, please just keep doing it, man. We'll keep making them. They're, they're quite fun to make, especially in this kind of crazy time where we're not really seeing each other because of the lockdown. So. The only way we're communicating is these podcasts, really. So they're nice to to hear a story and then have a wee chat at the end. So we hope you enjoy them. See you then for the the usual post-match analysis. Stay safe, stay well. Cheers. It's the day before the funeral and I've been invited up to some house in Bather to have a look at the body. This is a new experience for me, and I'm totally shitting myself. There's quite a few folk there when I chap at the door, in agitated apprehension. I deliberate if I should even be there at all, but I'm ushered in, with smiles and cuddles for the woman, and earnest handshakes for the men. There's some twisted humour on my part, due to my own awkwardness at the situ. I walk through and I see the embalmed corpse. Fuck all. We have a wee laugh at how nervous I've been. It looks just like the guy's sleeping. Even in death, Brian Yardley still looks alive somehow. There's a mischievous grin on his face, and it's as if he'll sit up at any point kidding on that he's not actually dead. He just looks a wee bit paler, but nonetheless as healthy as you can for, for a dead guy. He's dressed in a wingtip collar shirt, a bow tie, black long-tailed jacket and a pair of blue jobby catcher trackies. His hands are clasped over his Tony Soprano belly clutching a couple of joints. Yeah, I'd liked his hash when he was alive and I suppose that some habits never die. The family ask if I'd like a wee moment to myself with my pal's dead body. I decline this offer but they seem to ignore me and they vacate the room. The fear is back a wee bit and I'm definitely waiting on him opening his eyes and calling me a cunt. I don't know what to really do. This is the first time I've been told to have a conversation with a dead guy, let alone see one. It's a strange sensation. How's it going, man? I ask him, nervously. The corpse doesn't respond. Eh, hey, you alright? Did Brian still elicits a deathly silence? I scratch my head for ideas, but to no avail. Curiously, I go for a wee feel of his hands, and they're cold. I wasn't sure if that's a done thing or no, but I've done it anyway. I even put my Peter Pointer finger on his cheek, and it's cold and all. I've never been a guy that does those selfie things, but I'm ready to get one of me and my deed pal. But the door's open, and re-enters his family. Relief fills me, and I'm glad. They pour me a dram and they take one of the joints out of Yad's grasp and insist that I smoke it. 
It's quite fucked up. An ancient woman with white whiskers who wasn't present previously rolls another joint with expert precision and pops it back in the protection of the deathly clasp. The family of the deceased ask me if I'd like to be one of the folk that lowers his body into the grave with the ropes. It seems like an honour that you can't really refuse, so I just accept with the utmost gratitude. Cheerio, see you tomorrow, and eck another whiskey, and I get to fuck home. Nine o'clock the next morning, I'm up and I scan two rolls and ham for my breakfast, followed by a pint of milk with a green top. The milk with the blue top is just for tea, allegedly. My pal Alicia picks me up in a silver Ford Focus, and we do the ten minute drive up to St Ignatius Roman Catholic Church. The funeral is already chock-a-block, totally rammed. Alicia and me, squirm and squish, our way through gangsters, shop owners, drug dealers, and a whole cast of other characters to a tiny wee space up the back. I try and break the solemn funeral vibe with the guy in the Ray-Bans in front of me. It's not that sunny day, mate. I didn't notice his blind stick, or I would have said fuck all. He turns round and starts snarling in Alicia's direction. Even though she's black, her skin goes bright red and she punches my arm. I wished it was me that was in the coffin instead, so I keep my head down. I'm far too embarrassed to even apologise. It's like a gig or something. We can hardly move as more people are herded like cattle up the back of this chapel. It's so warm and cramped. The bell ding-a-dings and the priest comes it and the opening hymn commences. We all join in. Amen. Five minutes into this ceremony, my top button's undone, my tie is loosened. All I can think about is how roasting it is. Amen. There's a guy up saying a eulogy. It sounds like his own Hollywood movie, and I'm hearing all sorts of things about my pal Brian Yardley. It's sad because of Brian's obvious lack of presence, but it comes across more like a best man's speech. He mentions a story about him being on the front cover of the LaFontaine's album, Class, and I get a few wee looks and smiles and nudges. Absolutely lovely, but my eyes are starting to roll into the back of my head. My suit jacket's off. Amen. Father Jerry's a right good priest. Probably the funniest one I've ever met. He's got nice curly hair and a kind face. Deadpan sense of humour. He's squishing holy water around the coffin and I yearn for some. I'm so thirsty. The tie's off now and there's another button undone. Shuffling weight between my two feet and no feeling good at all. Desperately yearning for a bottle of holy water to be squished on me by Father Jerry. Father Jerry is doing the communion prayers and everybody is in silent observation. For those who don't know what the communion is, it's basically where you get a wee bit of wafer and a wee bit of wine. It's to symbolise flesh and blood that Jesus divvied up at his last supper. The shirt is now untucked. Amen. The symbolic flesh and blood is being prepared and there's no noise except the odd ding-a-ling-a-ling of the bell. Which, for those who don't know, is to symbolise the time the chicken cock-a-doodle-doo outside the supper. The symbolic cock-a-doodle-doo 
is about to ding-a-ling-a-ling for the third and final time. If my memory serves me right. It's been about 17 years since I was an altar boy. I reckon I could still do it watching them, but the constant kneeling used to hurt my back. We mostly just had to follow the priest around with the flesh and blood and hold a giant cross wearing white robes with pointy hoods. Sometimes you get paid if it was a wedding, or in this case a funeral. I'm no one to knock back a shift. Gardening, plumbing, tiling and drumming. Being an altar boy and chasing the woman. That'll be the name one should think for my autobiography. That's if they make a film, they can just call it Gardening. I'm about to roll up my sleeves as that last ding-a-ling-a-ling ding-dings. Brian Yardley is a legend of a guy who's my old pal. An old rogue full of wisdom, mischief and talent. The boy who lived. I met him a few years previous when I was busking down the streets of Wishy. His advice to me on a constant basis was to be nice, but to fuck the system. My intention had always been to fuck the system, and he championed every creative endeavour that I've ever done, when other people might have thought that I'm a wee bit mental. The man gave me some sound advice. I chose for his face to be in the front cover of our first album. It was going to be called Class, and he looked apart. We wanted this old haggard-looking guy to be in a really fancy contrasting room. It's all a bit arty-farty, but I think a photographer, a guy called Brian Sweeney, got it absolutely spot on. Care, Brian Yardley, Brian Sweeney and myself all had an interesting trip up to Inverary Castle to do the photos. Yard and Sweeney sat in the front, and me and Care in the back. Sweeney's telling us that he's just back from the Philippines, where they were taking photos of live crucifixions at Easter. And Yard's going on about a time he got shot with a shotgun. Stone cold lunacy. Me and Kerr are eating crisps in the back like Wayne's. Kerr's in the tuck shop at the youth group he works at later. And I need to get out a wall for my dad. Quite the difference. The Duke of Argyle lives at Inverary Castle. And we've been given some severe instructions to only refer to him if he makes an appearance as Your Grace. Can you imagine? 2015, at the time anyway. The folk have been called without any shred of irony, your grace. The four of us have the best laugh about what we can call them instead. Your Majesty, Your Highness, etc. My Lord was my favourite. Yes, my Lord. Your Grace did indeed appear at the photoshoot. He strolls out a secret bookcase in pastel tones. He's got this daft jumper tied around his neck, and that way they don't think anybody actually does. Your Grace does though. Your Grace looks eager to please and a bit uncomfortable. Everything alright I trust? Your Grace inquires, looking at the scene. Arms outstretched brought into a clasp. His top teeth poke out a wee bit. Posh as posh can be. I don't think any of us had ever seen him like him. Or ever will again. I thought the Duke was meant to be John Wayne. Pipes up Yad as he's trying hopelessly to get a shoe on, holding on to a priceless suit of armour for balance. Me and Kara finished our crisps at this point, but we give each other the same look as in the car. We don't know what the repercussions are. We've been given a massive favour to be in your grace's castle. And the last thing we want to do is to offend him on our first encounter. He looks startled, then a bit irritated, then contemplative, 
and then just totally confused. He spent about one and a half seconds in each of these emotions. A joy to behold. I still don't even understand the joke, but I just knew that it was funny. He was fucking the system. A wee bit of uncooperative small talk with him for five, but just as he goes to leave, Yad asks him cheekily where he got his jumper. I wouldn't know the wife does my shopping. Your grace guffaws and superiority. Bye, my lord. I finally managed to coo as he steps back into his spinning bookcase. I wake up. There's loads of faces looking at me. What the fuck's going on? Some look concerned and some appear to be appalled. I'm being dragged at this nightclub by the arms after this big baldy bouncer. My legs, arse and lower back are sliding across an intricate mosaic. There's a ding-a-ling-a-ling, a ling in my ears, and there's chaos in my trail. I'm totally helpless. Upon getting outside, my brain has told me that I'm at the chapel. It's Yad's funeral. I don't have a clue what's happened. The baldy bouncer turns out to be my big mate Bongo. Bongo's this old punk rocker, anarchist as fuck. He's took a few hours at his taxi shift to attend Yad's funeral. He tells me I've fainted in the chapel. Drinking a wee cup of non-holy water, I begin remember not feeling well and being really roasting. There's a few folk outside because the service is that busy and there's this mad looking woman with big frizzy hair handing me a fag. What you been on, son? What you been smoking? She accuses. Eh, just two rolls and ham. I've had the right good sleep. I respond in a puzzled plea. She tuts and rolls her eyes, gum chewing and heel clicking away back to her gaggle of smokers. Bongo's laughing, kidding me on that I fainted onto the blind guy and he got knocked over. Apparently people thought that I was trying to fight him. I might have decked it, but surely not. Right enough, true to Bongo's word, about 30 seconds later, the blind guy's got his arm round two people's shoulder, like he's been carried out of a club out his nut as well. He looks quite old, late 60s, and he's really wee and stooped. I feel dead guilty, and although everyone's understanding and realises at this point kinda what's happened, I still feel people think that I'm out my brains. I was telling MD that would listen, that I've only had two rolls and ham. I'm feeling all sorry for myself, sitting sheepish on the curb, scratching my chin. All of a sudden, two big beautiful white horses and a big white carriage roll up in front of me. The horse closest to me, which was the slaveriest, starts doing this big shite. Amen. Maybe I'm dreaming here. What was in that ham? Too many thoughts at once, as everybody starts to pile out the chapel to the vision of me struggling to stand up. Wobbly, with half my clothes off and arms raised protesting my innocence, two feet away from this big beautiful horse, doing the big shite. Meanwhile, the blind guy is on a chair, facing in no real direction at all. Two men with top hats and tails sitting on top of the white carriage open the back door as others load in the coffin. The events are soundtracked by the gritty tones of Alabama 3. Alicia comes out giggling at my expense and she takes me to the carriage for a cold can of corporate sludge. I can't believe I've still got the duty of lowering the body into the ground still to come. Amen. We're gathered up at Gambersneth and Graveyard. A few folk are having a wee joke with me, saying that I deliberately fainted to try and sell more albums. I entertain the fact, admitting it was all just a PR stunt, 
As the priest does the final prayers and begins to call out the pallbearers, I'd concluded that everybody thinks that I'm at my face or they surely have got another placement. They haven't, but, and I'm summoned forward. The ten yards or so through the crowd feels like the Green Mile. Everyone seems to be looking at me in anticipation. What's this heed case going to do next? One of Yad's nephews remarks on how I better watch myself and no faint and fall in the grave. The funeral procession will have a good laugh. I don't laugh, but I just feel myself going pure white as a sheet. I assume my position and I take hold of my assigned rope. I'm holding on far too tight to my portion, desperate not to let it go or fall in. As my five other colleagues begin to lower the coffin into the grave, the rope is burning in my hand and I feel my weight shift towards the hole in the ground. I'm instructed to loosen my grip on the cord, but as I do so, the corner of the coffin I'm responsible for comes crashing down at the bottom of the pit, making an unearthly din in the earth. Something, most likely the corpse, bangs against the wood, and I can hear people around me gasp in shock. Father Jerry struggles to suppress his sniggers, and so do his cohorts. I don't think I've ever felt as much of a tube. I'm starting to understand why all my teachers always told me I was special. A piper plays the last lament, and Monsieur Yardley has some gravel placed in his plot. The priest instructs us all to assemble at the Cross Keys pub for some steak pie. Amen. Alicia drops me off at the boozer. I'm too petrified to go in, absolutely gripped with anxiety. I've got a paranoia in my sensitive wee brain telling me I'm going to get cracked or something. Quite the opposite. Instead, it's impossible for me to move two steps in the place without somebody else buying me a drink and having a good laugh both at and with me. What a day. My tie is back out of my pocket and it's round my head. The rebel songs are on and I'm up on a table doing a Cossack dance. There's an old man with a false leg doing the split standing up, his good leg in the ground and his fake one pointing at the ceiling. He looks about 90. I need to behave myself because I'm playing drums in another boozer later. The ancient whiskered woman who expertly crafted the coffins bliffs the day previous has dragged me into the ladies' toilets and she's giving me a stern finger wagging. I'm a good boy, she explains over a sincere couple of minutes. Big Johnny Yardley who's Yard's brother and also the manager of the pub, opens the door and tells me aggressively to get out. People can see me getting chucked out of this female bog, this old wifey following. She's still giving me an affectionately, motherly tailing off. She's still wagging her finger. My arms are up and surrender again. I don't think I even had any steak pie. I become acquainted with most of the family and Yard's pals. God knows what any of them think about me. My eyes are reduced to slits and I can hardly speak. I managed to convey the information about that evening's entertainment down at the commercial hotel. They say they'll all come down later. Someone gifts me a bag of chips that were going spare to sober me up. It's like the donkey and the carrot as I chase this welcomed steak pie substitute at 10 miles per hour down the main street. They're held out as far away from my body as I can to stop the brown sauce slittering my tin flute. My right arm's swinging around like Pete Townsend, procuring the chips from the bag. I've run into the pub, leaning forwards at a 45 degree angle. As I regale my bandmate that night, Jim, with a colourful account of the afternoon's antics, I'm taking my time to set up the drum kit. 
It usually takes me about five minutes, but my saga is getting in the way. Eventually we're good to go. The pints are delivered, we've had the fag, and we commence to ply our trade. The pub is already pretty busy for our weekly Thursday residence. We've done a couple of songs by this point, easing into a stride, engaging what that evening's audience is going to be. We try to cater for everybody, serving up portions of 50s, 60s, throughout the modern day. Only in the last few weeks it's been concluded that we don't actually know anything that's been made since 2004. The funeral party enter with high expectations and take their seats round about the foot high stage. I'm trying to redeem myself for all previous redneckery by playing some superb drumming. My skill set is really at the fore as we start up an old Beatles song. Ironically fitting to the situation, it's called It's Getting Better All The Time. Jim is singing in his gravelly tones and I'm complimenting him with the harmonies and the counter melodies. During the chorus, Jim sings a line, I believe it's getting better, a little better all the time. To which I respond with, it can't get any worse. It can get worse, it appears. Just as I execute my vocals, the chrome bar in my drum stool snaps in half, sending me a few metres across the floor into a table of students in Smirnoff Ices. Physics would deem it impossible to anyone watching, from the way I was just sitting, to the possessed slide three metres across the floor. Everyone's mouth is gaping around me yet again, as I lie on the floor for a few seconds, confused as hell, my blood scushing like holy water from a deep wind near my right elbow and a smaller incision on my chest. Jim's just carried on with the song, as I try and grab a seat and continue with my part. More of the funeral folk are walking in, greeted with the spectacle of me being ushered to sit down with a crimson shirt and black tie. I've ate my chips, I tell them. My eyes are telling me that some people are shaking their head in disbelief and disgust. But one's ego is comforting me, allowing the drunken facade that maybe I look like a real rock and roll bad boy. Marlon Brando, Iggy Pop, or something equally as fictitious. I'm sat in a bar stool and back playing the song, but each time my right arm bends, which is extremely regular given the job at hand, the blood keeps squirting all over the students and their Smyrna faces. Maybe through the blood loss, or maybe through the trauma, the dizziness is back, and the next thing I remember is my mum waking me up at the kitchen table the next morning. She's baffled and angry at the nick of me. She's had a few texts through the night for worried friends as she helps her 25-year-old speechless and bloody son into a shower. Sat down in the shower with last night's plasters all around me. It starts to come back to me and all I can do is laugh. What a carry on. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Remember the first time like you introduced us to Brian? Remember he stayed, it was like a right, a right nice day and sunny and we went... No, that was when the album came out. That was the day the album came out. So why why would why did we go down there? To give him uh, a I think so, I because the album was out that day and we were playing Edinburgh that night. That's right, did we all go around? I fries and all that went around as well, didn't we? I don't think I ever met him. I don't I don't remember meeting him. Oh no, I, I remember because I had I had something else on and I had to come to that Edinburgh gig just before we played. That's right, I so it was me, you and Fraz and somebody else went. Uh, Fraz's pal Jethro. <laughs> I only met him that one time. I remember I, I liked him. I, me too. <laughs> I, <remember laughs> but I don't know. I don't know why or who he was or why he was there. I, he, he was, he was, he was, I think he was helping out with the merch. That wasn't the guy that uh, we, we ended up at in that mad. We played somewhere in Leamington Spa. Mm. No, 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 no. That was Fraz's other pal. Remember, we, and that was a mad party that night, and it was like all they fucking. I left. I couldn't hack it. I, oh, I just feel a fucking. Pen, it was like guys doing things like, "Hey, should we should we try and drink from the bonsai trees?" But <laughs> <laughs> after like forty five minutes, I had to leave. Oh, I remember going to a front room and fucking dancing with these four. <laughs> All the curtains were shut, and it was this minimalist title sh- uh, music on. It was these kind of four guys and like two birds, and they're all dancing. They're all at their chump, and hey man, <laughs> hey man, just sit and enjoy it, man. <laughs> <laughs> just sit and enjoy it. That's the fucking least enjoyable thing I've ever done in my life. I can sort of vaguely mind. I think I stayed till about seven in the morning. I remember walking back to Leamington Spa in the sun. Me and you were the only people that stayed. Was it? Uh huh. Right. Me, me and Finley left straight away. That's right, because cause we ended up, I remember us walking back to a, a petrol station and getting ham sandwiches, Jamie, about seven or eight in the morning. Hey, <laughs> 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 so, I just mind it being like, remember it being nice. And then we had to go to Fraz's palace and we all, t- we all asked for like his sw- swimming shorts so we could go swimming. Oh, yeah. Remember? <laughs> um, but the first time I met Brian then would have been when we went up in the car with him. Bye, bye. I, was I, didn't get, I, didn't come, I wasn't there for that either. That sounded really funny. I still don't understand that joke either. That I thought the joke was John Wayne. Mm. I don't get that joke. Nah, I don't. I don't get it either. I think. I think there's a film. Must hey, be. With... Is, is that not what jo- John Wayne is known as? No. Oh, what is, is that his nickname? John Wayne. It's like uh, Bruce Springsteen's uh, the boss. I, uh, I think anyway. I'm going to Google that. The Duke. The Duke. We need to get another th- uh, fourth person that can do the research. <laughs> uh, Frankie fact checker. <laughs> uh, uh, John Wayne. John Wayne is his name. Nickname is his. Nick, name the Duke. <laughs> Duke. Imagine that's how you spoke. 
<laughs> and between songs. <laughs> <laughs> aye, aye. How did John Wayne get the nickname the Duke? Uh, that, was, that was a well in in that case, Brian. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> was he was he English the Duke of a girl? Uh, no, it was just extremely. I don't think so. It was just Is super it one of those like super posh Scottish people that sounds English? Aye, it just sounds like he's it's no real. Right, right, right. Did you get a selfie with Brian at all? Remember in the story you say you wanted to take a selfie with him? No, no, I was just sort of like thinking about it and doing it, but I mean, there's a... Uh, one of the... There's hundreds of Yardleys, but there's, there's one of them always brings it. A couple of them, in fact, bring it up anytime I see them, just about that day at the funeral and me saying that I was going to get a selfie. But <laughs> is it like... Because you can go and look at the body... And it's like the last time you ever got to see the body, so does it make sense to take photos of them? Aye, I know what you mean. I've seen some mental ones and it's folk with a Snapchat filter and it's like the dead person's like a dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need to look at that, sit right up my street. How many shifts have you, have you done at the food bank now? Uh, five. And actually, are you covering for your mum and dad? Aye, but it's a process and I'll, I'll keep doing. Mm-hmm. Quite enjoy it. For whatever reason, it's just good to get in. Sorry, on my phone's <laughs> going to keep making that noise. Uh, it's good. Uh, There's a woman. A woman last week. Uh, an old woman, she was talking about uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. She was talking about wanting to get Facebook, but she was saying, um, going, I don't want to see what MD else is up to, and I don't want MD to see what I'm up to. <laughs> I was going, I was going, right, I was like, all right, well, m- maybe Facebook isn't the right thing for you, sort of thing. She's going, I just want to see Gareth Moan. Gareth Moan's the, the choir guy. Mm-hmm. He gets on BBC, right. the Nation Choir. Yeah, so she went, so, but, so anyway, the next week she came in, she's like, I've got Facebook and all that, but it keeps it, I'm deleting all these friends, but I've not got any friends, I never had any friends, but I keep deleting them, since she's been deleting the suggested friends, she's <laughs> going, my, she's <laughs> going, my husband came up, and I don't know, damn, I didn't want him to see what I was up to, <laughs> uh, but she was just saying that she's been messaging Gareth alone. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one's about 75 or something I can't remember the name uh, <laughs> she's just been messaging Gareth Moore so she can do a, a choir thing at home like the she's going I've never been a singer before but I thought like I'll, I'll learn a new hobby and I like watching Gareth Moore on the telly so uh, I just this, this, I'll find out what happens tomorrow nice if Gareth's got back to her or no Gareth's listening Definitely, I uh, get back to. I made you had up, Gareth. Did you I see can't that, remember uh, her name though. Did you see that? Um, <laughs> you'll need to figure out her name, Gareth, as well. <laughs> but she, 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 the, the old woman, she was going. I don't care if John's playing football. And I was just laughing. I was just imagine somebody called John saying, "I am playing football." <laughs> Stay
you mentioned you were an altar boy, Jamie. How long were you an altar boy for? And how did you get into that? <laughs> <laughs> Surely there's some funny tales there. I done it for like primary. I think because you could only do it once you'd done your first communion. Right. So I done my. What was your first communion name? Uh, you didn't get one. That was confirmation. Oh, sorry. But sorry, I got, so, so, I sorry. My, I got my sacraments confused. Sorry, on you go. But my my confirmation name was Athanasius. Very nice. Um, uh, Leo. It was I think we picked a couple. Uh, but the you can only be a first commun- you can only be an altar boy after that first communion. So I think that was primary four or five. Uh, and I think I done it up until I went to high school. So I think primary seven. Primary seven, I was a cross country running altar boy. <laughs> <laughs> and did I was ever, on a school quiz team. Did you ever place high in the cross country? Uh, no, but I, I, I knew that you mentioned that that's another time that I fainted. Uh, there are two, two times that I fainted. Once, well, once was at Brian Yardley's funeral. Mm-hmm. Another times I fainted was uh, making my. It was one of the sacraments. It was in the chapel again. It wasn't a communion, but it was one of the sacraments. Confirmation or reconciliation or confession or something. Uh, and I fainted at that. And another time I fainted was after a cross-country run, uh, where I thought it'd be a good idea to eat like, loads of bananas for it. <laughs> for energy. And then uh, I was primary seven, then I fainted after a cross-country run. Which is just full of bananas. So that's my three times fainting. Gagged yourself to death. <laughs> I was fucked. These days I don't eat before the run. Good advice. <laughs> Good advice for any fellow runners out there, any budding runners. <laughs> I think you're supposed to, but I, I just, I never, uh, you know what I'm like, I'm just so rebellious. I don't really, I'm, I'm going to start training I get properly tomorrow. I kind of fell off it for a couple of weeks there. What, for altar boy? <laughs> for an altar boy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing for a couple of weeks, but then fell away with it for a bit. What films have you been watching in, in film for this week, Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, I watched a good one last night called Brassed Off. And it was about uh, Ewan McGregor, and he's, he's for Sheffield in it, or, or Yorkshire, whatever, anyway. Hmm. And um, the, they had like a brass band for this for the, this, the coal pit they worked in, the brass band, and it was a bit... Um, the, the pits were closing, so it was all like... Uh, it was all like cool footage and stuff like that and um, the brass band were, were at the championships for the, the, the Royal Albert Hall and it was just about the, 
pits closing, but in the band doing well. But the the conductor instead they just saying thanks for the for winning. He like made it a, a sort of a big anti Tory speech, and it was really good. Yeah. What would you score out of ten? Uh, seven. Seven. That's, that's a strong that's, seven. That's really good. Hi. I'm trying to think what else I watched. Uh, the Nest. I just finished that just before we came on the call. Is it good? Ah, it's good. I thought it was brilliant, but I thought the ending was a bit weird. Don't tell me the ending. I'm, I'm maybe we've got to watch it. Uh, it starts. Off, I don't know. It starts off you kind of skeptical because it's a Scottish thing, and then by the end of it, you're like, ah, oh, it's actually all right. So, would you recommend watching it? I mean, it's it's not like Game of Thrones or anything, but it's like good. <laughs> it's exactly like Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones, but Scottish. <laughs> and instead, instead the uh, demons and dragons, it's uh, it's uh, surrogate mothers. No, I'll need you. Instead, the instead the ogre, instead the ogres, it's um, the police. Right, I get, I get you. So the house, the, the the house that Martin Compton lives in it is really cool. It's like in Helensburgh somewhere. So I guess it's worth watching it just to see that. Just to see the house. It's summers. For any Kevin McLeod fans out there, by the grand designs. <laughs> I as as look something for that. Yeah, I, I feel like watching uh, Hot Fuzz tonight. That's what I like to watch. I, I tell you why I like to watch Hot Fuzz. There's a for the screenplay that we're. We're writing <laughs> the screenplay. We're writing a screenplay. It's called Class. And there's a there's a, a two two cops in it. We call them. They're really small. We call them the short arm of the law. Officer Stewart and Lieutenant Little. I <laughs> think that's what they're called. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to round off a scene at the end, but I want it to be like I want it to round off in a kind of cliched '80s way, you know, like they, like. He's like, you ain't nothing for that gun a badge, Rick. That kind of thing. <laughs> I want to round it off in a, 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 a kind of way like that. And I think that um, I'm Hot sure. Fuzz will have that. Oh, I'm sure that I, if I remember watch, watching Hot Fuzz before, they kind of spoof 80s cop cops in it. So I'm whatever. I'll look at that and see. It's funny to uh, see the Hound, Big Rory. Big Rory, you know, he was in that he, as well. He's in Hot Fuzz, eh? Aye, he plays a big guy, keeps going, yarp, yarp. Wait to uh, so wait to see this for a segue. So in in the story, Jamie, you mentioned that the you the film of your life would be Gaiman. Who would play you in a film? A bit. <laughs> a bit Gaiman. Uh-huh. James McAvoy. I was going to say that as well. No. Right, not not oh, not Jerry Butler. No. What about Ice Cube? Toss up between uh, the names. Oh, uh, Steve, there's a good question. Gareth, Gareth Malone. Who's Gareth Malone? The guy that does the choir. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of this guy. At all. <laughs> you never have. Fucking Gareth Malone. He's got glasses and wears a bow tie. I don't. Uh, he's a uh, Welsh or English or one of those countries. <coughs> um, <laughs> Who would play? Who would play Baz? Edward Snowden. <laughs> I was going to say. Edward <laughs> <laughs> you could get a. Uh, you could get a uh, Ronaldo here to play you. 
A sterling performance from Ronaldo. What, the, what, the, fat, the fat Ronaldo? <laughs> the fat So earlier on Twitter, I asked if, uh, <laughs> if there's been any, anybody wants us to discuss it, and there's been loads of people go back, which is pretty sad. But um, let me just pick one at random. Um, <laughs> how far in advance are set lists prepared? <laughs> um, <laughs> 10 minutes before we go on stage, pretty much. Considering they're usually the same for the full tour. Was that your good question to read it, Ken? This this comes from uh, Shidley87 Scott Shields The Big Font Day Out Talk about the Big Font Day Out Remember the Big Font Day Out boys? Mm -hmm. Many years ago would that have been? Uh, Seven? Eight? Twelve? Thirteen? It was ages ago As long ago as that The Big Font Day Out was a an idea we had to basically put on a series of gigs in the same day where we kind of set up our own wee mini festival. So we were obviously the headline act because fuck it, book yourself, put yourself the best slot. And we had a few other acoustic acts and we took them from like a bean scene cafe, walked them from Central Station to a bean scene ca- what, what was the route? Did they get on a bus at one point, no? Oh, no, 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 do not make everyone get the train. Aye, aye, so I, I remember... <laughs> everybody, everybody, I fucking everybody came off at Central Station, and me and a few other folk with Oscar and stuff, and Ashley. Like there was a bit, maybe a team of the eighties directed like a couple hundred people all through Glasgow on different trains and then to like different cafes just to, to be part of a set. And then we finished the the gig in a greenhouse. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there was there was a there was an after show DJ set thing that I think you were too knackered to do that no one came to that I went and done myself. <laughs> <laughs> to like no one in flat of one in flat of one to get like fifty quid or something. Do you mind the mind the the, the DJ after show after the uh, oh uh, Saint Luke's <laughs> me uh, what me and you Jamie. Hi. Have to do what you have to do. What happened then? Just me and Daz in the basement. Eh? I don't okay. know. Then, kept mind the one after, was it the Barrowland at ABC and you just kept playing that Ava song? Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that was, we, we, were, we were mad up. You let's mind. I remember just really apologising to the guy saying I'm so sorry. Because, <laughs> Obviously, that happens a lot. Bands go to like play DJ sets after their fucking gigs, and you generally expect them to show up, play a couple of tunes, and just keep the night flowing. But we embarrassed and we embarrassed ourselves. Really, was what we done. We played ABBA loads, and it kept skipping. It was fucking terrific. It was really bad. No, it wasn't just ABBA loads. It was just the one ABBA song. <laughs> <laughs> 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 